everybody, welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. This is the podcast from the movie fans for the movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined once again by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Hey, we have unfinished business. Mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> Old school Syracuse shirt, love it. All right. We have an excellent show on tap for you. Uh, We will talk about Black Widow floundering in the box office in week two. Uh, New releases this coming week. We'll talk about upcoming future box office stuff, play the movie quote game, and of course, our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get started here. Let's do it. So Black Widow had a little bit of a drop-off between week one and week two. And it did not go unnoticed, especially by theater owners. So the stats here, um, Black Widow made over $80 million and its opening weekend. And that then fell dramatically uh, to $26.3 million for the second weekend, which pushed it just below the 31 million that Space Jam A New Legacy got, which is still not an impressive number, despite what LeBron James says. (laughs) However, uh, theater owners are not happy with it. And the belief here is that the availability of the pay access streaming, as well as with the pay access streaming comes torrents, and all sorts of high functioning digital copies have really, really hurt the box office numbers for this particular film. Uh, To give a few quotes here as to what was happening, the National Association of Theater Owners, uh, their representative said this, uh, despite assertions that this pandemic era improvised strategy was a success for Disney and science, and the simultaneous release model, it demonstrates that exclusive theatrical release means more revenue for all stakeholders in every cycle of a movie's life. So that's the basics. We can get to a few more. What what were your thoughts when you saw the numbers for Black Widow and uh, and the theater responses? Well, I think that typically uh, theaters will expect up to around a 50% drop after the first week um, up to not like more than Mm -hmm. so the fact that it's this much more than that is really significant and I think I am a bit surprised by it uh, because when I saw the movie I thought it was the kind of movie that people would encourage other people to go watch and then maybe people who hadn't been interested in it right away would go check out uh, the following week so you have to wonder with such a big drop off if it will have any legs at all to keep going and continue to earn money obviously it's not going to be a billion dollar movie i don't know when we're going to see one of those again um probably going to be a while mm-hmm. uh but i i think the point about the digital version being available which increases the availability of high quality digital copies to be posted and shared illegally is a big deal um, I hadn't really considered that angle, but I think that that's probably a fairly significant change of events when it comes to how a movie is released these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have long been a questioner of Disney's strategy and what they've been doing with their movies, pandemic, and, and moving towards where we're at now. And to me, this speaks of, I heard a quote from, a, from an, another source that says, basically, it looks like Disney is chasing digital pennies instead of box office dollars. Um, and that might be the case here. Um, it's hard to say what would happen if it hadn't been, if they hadn't gone with the streaming option. Um, obviously, we'll never know. Uh, but uh, I think there are questions to be raised about it. Um, another quote from... Uh, from NATO, which is an interesting <laughs> an interesting acronym for this uh, for the theater organization. Uh, many questions raised by Disney's limited release of streaming data opening weekend are being rapidly answered by Black Widow's disappointing and anomalous 
performance. Most important answer to that simultaneous release is a post. The most important answer is that simultaneous release is a pandemic era artifact that should be left in history with the pandemic itself, which is in no uncertain terms, get rid of the stream. (laughs) So not surprising coming from theater, from theater organizations. Um, But to me, this might be the first sign that, that, this is not a sustainable model at this point for maximum dollars. Now it's a little bit different when you were had a hard time getting people into theaters and you needed to get some money out of your films going forward. However, I question this being a strategy that's going to be successful going forward. All right. Anything else on this one? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So moving on to other stuff in the box office right now, we have three, movies that are getting more wide release uh this coming weekend that open up old from them from m night Shyamalan. this is the movie about an island where rapid aging occurs and uh so this is his newest thriller release we also have snake eyes which is a cobra or it's a um, gi joe uh origin story movie and we have Joe Bell. Um, the thing is based on a true story about a guy who goes walking across the country because I think his son was bullied. Um, so those are the three main releases. Rob, we know you are interested in old. Is that is that your official your official uh, plan to go see old? Yeah, I would say so. I'll definitely find a way to go see old because I I always want to check out what uh, Midnight is doing. <laughs> these days <laughs> yeah but i it, and i think the more that i've seen of it the more i've been intrigued by it and think that it has potential to be something pretty good yeah i plan to see old but i also plan on seeing snake eyes so probably in the next week i'm hoping to go see both uh i am definitely intrigued by snake eyes to see whether it's it's good i was intrigued enough by the trailer so that i want to see if i was if my intrigue was on point or if it was if they got me so um i have no idea whether i need to see the other gi joe movies to be able to watch this one or not but i do think that from what i've seen of snake eyes in the trailers that it looks like it has the potential to be um maybe a higher caliber quality movie than some of the other gi joe things that have come out to this point um when i watched it it seemed more more along it, it seemed more along the same feel as like a, a Marvel movie or something like that. Like it seemed like yeah. there were real stakes. There were real, mm-hmm. there was real emotion. Like it, it seems that it has potential to be a good movie. Mm-hmm. And sometimes origin stories themselves leave you with a lot of material and provide you with more opportunities for plot development uh, because you have to dig into the background of the character, which means there has to be a character arc unlike some action movies where you end up with not much of a character arc. You almost, by definition, when you're creating an origin story, need to have a character arc. So it will be interesting to see if that actually develops well with Snake Eyes. So, yeah, so check out uh, theaters this weekend. Black Widow is still out. Space Jam is still out. Old Snake Eyes, Joe Bell, the new releases. Uh, So get out there and support your local theater. All right, let's talk a little bit about some stuff that's coming up. Uh, we have something that's coming up here in a couple of weeks, one that's coming up in a couple of months, and one that's coming up next year. So uh, first, let's hit on Suicide Squad. So uh, a, an article that just came out recently was an interview with Jai Courtney, who is one of the actors uh, in Suicide Squad, also played in the original Suicide Squad, or the last one, I should say. I don't know if that really original is the right term there. Uh, But he said that James Gunn went all out and basically had carte blanche to be able to do whatever he wanted with Suicide Squad. Um, If you've seen the Red Band trailer, you will know that this will definitely be a violent movie. Um, And Courtney says he really pushes the boundaries, him being James Gunn, the director. He basically gives the key, was given the keys and says, do whatever you want. And he cited how crazy and bizarre the movie is. 
and that Gunn is an evil genius in a way. So Rob, does this idea make you more excited about Suicide Squad, less excited about Suicide Squad? Uh, I'm not 100 in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, with Guardians of the Galaxy, you've seen like what he can accomplish. Mm-hmm. So the question is like, given that, the, I think one of the things that made Guardians of the Galaxy so powerful or different, unique, was that there was that line where like he had there there was a restraining line mm-hmm. and that brought out some of the humor in the yeah. movie that if you just like went over that line and did whatever you wanted to it would not have been as funny mm-hmm. so the question is and i think this has been the question for dc the whole time across all of their movies is what exactly is their goal yeah because marvel seems to be set in this um lots of action lots of humor but keeping both in a place where and that's why the movies are pg-13 like keeping both in a place where they can be enjoyed kind of across the family mm-hmm. so for if with suicide squad and we, we saw it with uh I, I guess maybe it could be analogous to uh deadpool is you've got more freedom and more ability to push the envelope and with the characters that are in Suicide Squad, I guess it makes sense. Mm-hmm. The question is, will they be able to have more of a coherent team of people in this movie? Because the previous, it, it it's just strange to me to have a movie and then like five years later have a complete redo <laughs> of it, basically. Yeah. It's, so uh... he's, I think he's got quite a task in front of him. So as far as will it benefit the movie or not, I'm not 100% sure because I think it could benefit it. I also think it could be detrimental to it because there's a point where you can go too far and then you're going to lose uh, a certain potential audience mm-hmm. for the movie too. So, Yeah. I think you hit on a good point about directors being unrestrained. And I think we've seen this in other cases with other directors where like, I've always long felt that Quentin Tarantino needs an editor because when he's allowed to just go off and do whatever, you end up with very long movies with stuff that could easily be cut out. Um, or, and for instance, with Zack Snyder, where we talked about with his Justice League, there was like, all right, Zack Snyder completely unrestrained. I don't know about this. <laughs> and and there, while, while I think the, the new Justice League was quite good, there were some things where you're like, okay, 40% of the movie should not be in slow-mo. Um, yeah. But I'm one, I don't know that I have a good enough feel for James Gunn as a director to be able to say whether I'm skeptical of him unrestrained or not. I think this will be one of the movies where we get to find that out. Usually a director has to have enough success uh, to get to the point where they can pretty much do whatever they want. And to a degree, James Gunn has, Um, but this will be interesting. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I would say this doesn't necessarily push me one way or the other. I'm still skeptical, (laughs) but we'll see. It is fascinating and curious to me that he is like in charge of one of the biggest properties in Marvel and also this. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Although, like, the reason why he came to this was because of fallout from allegations surrounding him previously that have, I guess, been worked out since he's coming back. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a very interesting interlude in his Marvel career that he's <laughs> jumping over and taking over maybe, if done well, maybe, I guess, the second best property in DC behind the Justice League, I guess you could argue, when it comes to a team. Yeah. Setting. Yeah. So we'll see. And and like I had said, the the confusing thing is that the original Justice League, you've got more of that like um, geared towards the whole family kind of mm-hmm. feel. Even the Snyder cut, 
wasn't necessarily like superly over the top graphic compared to this like if if they are supposed to be all part of the same goal like if you're trying to go towards the same goal and i guess you could throw a joker in with this too yeah it just seems like there's a whole lot of disparate ideas of where tonally they're trying to go mm-hmm. and i don't know how beneficial that is towards the like the studio or company mm-hmm. as a whole to do that yeah it's like they're taking their individual properties and viewing them all through an individual lens what is the best for this group like this is a group of anti-heroes the suicide squad's anti-heroes uh, so how do we best utilize anti-heroes? Let's use lots of graphic violence. Um, so on a level, it makes sense, but you're right. Across the whole platform, it gives it a very disparate feel. All right, we'll see what happens with Suicide Squad. That comes out in two weeks on August 6th. Uh, now, another movie that a trailer just dropped for over the past week is coming out October 22nd. That is The Last Duel. Now this one, I I found myself really intrigued by the possibility of The Last Duel. This is a period piece starring Jodie Comer, Comer, uh, Adam Driver, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon teaming up once again. So this is, I mean, just the cast alone gives you uh, some intrigue. But it's basically... Uh, a story that takes place, it's a historical epic taking place during the Hundred Years' War. And it is supposedly based on a real life occurrence of the very last sanctioned duel in France between Jean, I'm terrible with French names, Jean de Carrose and Jacques Lagrisse. I, I, I can't swallow the back half of all the words like you do in French. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, so basically these were two friends uh, who became bitter rivals. There's accusations of misconduct with the, I think with uh, Matt Damon's wife involved between him and Adam Driver. Uh, ben Affleck is playing the king, I believe in this film. But it looks like a really intriguing period piece. Lots of, uh, you know, kind of medieval battles and and political intrigue. It's been a while since we've seen a historical drama like this. What what were your thoughts? Yeah, I like uh, I like seeing, uh, like you said, it's been a while since we've seen one like this because I think a lot of historical things that have come out recently around like Arthurian legend or other things like that you kind of they kind of try and put their own spin on it or add a mystical element to it or something along that line um and don't aim for the realism or the like grounded nature of events so i i like i like things like this (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it'll it'll be fun to see i'm always interested to see adam driver in different kinds of roles and like you said, uh, Matt and Ben back together. Yes. Is usually a good thing. And watch the trailer because you also get to see Matt Damon in an unbelievable mullet. I mean, <laughs> mullet is strong in this movie. <laughs> it is intense. I mean, wow. It's, it's good stuff. But it, it is interesting because, I mean, I think back in the early 2000s, we got, we got a good number of of you know, more ancient, more old school period pieces, uh, especially following uh, the 2000 uh, best picture win for Gladiator, uh, spawned a number of period pieces from Kingdom of Heaven to, um, I'm blanking out on the other one off the top of my head, but there was a number of really good period pieces that came out. Um, Troy, Troy was the one I was thinking of. Uh, So we did get a number uh, right in that in that point, but it's, it feels like it's been a good long while since we've gotten a good historical piece. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this one. And it actually comes out October 15th, not 22nd. Ah. Yeah, not that you were all like, you know, booking your plans right now. I was, so it's a good thing you told me because now I can change my calendar entry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, check out the trailer. We'll put a link into it. I think it looks like a really fantastic uh, addition to the fall lineup. 
And lastly, a movie that comes out almost exactly one year from now. Yes. Indiana Jones 5. We've got a little bit of an update on Indiana Jones 5. And that is that at least part of the movie is going to be set in 1969, which really is interesting. A lot of the original movies took place in the 30s. Then we had the uh, the one that Rob wishes to not name uh, took place in 1957 and moved on from the Nazis towards the Cold War era. And now will be apparently in 1969. Now, this came out as a result of um, seeing some scenes being filmed in Glasgow, where uh, a town in Glasgow was being made to look like Manhattan. And apparently chaos was ensuing as uh, Indiana Jones and some other peoples go running through the celebration parade for the moon launch uh, astronauts after they came hmm. back. So as a result, we have a good sense that uh, at least a part of it takes place in 1969. So Rob, what do you think about that? And does this give you any hints as to potential plot elements? Well, uh, we already know that Harrison Ford like hurt himself yes filming this movie so so we know that it's got to be like intense or mm-hmm. he's just old yes um, <laughs> <laughs> uh i guess that it makes sense to be have that part be in uh 1969 if he's involved in that part because obviously he's supposed to be older mm-hmm. um and that would make sense with the timeline of his character uh as far as where they're going with things I have no idea because <laughs> I I am looking forward to seeing um, this fourth Indiana Jones movie after the original trilogy <laughs> and what they do with it. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there are not aliens involved. <laughs> um, I'm sure there'll if if it's 1969 if there if there is a scene revolved around celebrating the moon landing then you have to assume there's something going on with the moon landing. So something is either on or being taken to the moon. I don't know. Um, hopefully Nazi gold, because then we can return to the roots of, you know, what actually made Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. But I guess, I guess we'll all find out together uh, in yeah. the fourth Indiana Jones movie coming out next year. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, I really do wonder if there's going to be some element of an additional plot onto the moon landing. Um, Transformers did that to no success whatsoever. Um, however, it uh, there could be some intrigue there. I wonder if that's more than just, I mean, like I said in my criticism of Wonder Woman 84, how there was absolutely no justification for why that movie was taking place in 1984. I have a much higher threshold of believing that there will be a reason why this film is in 1969 other than the fact that Harrison Ford's another decade older. Um, So I'm hopeful that they're tying in something along those lines and that it's not just a, oh, let's just throw in this tidbit about the moon landing. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to trust and wait and see. But we've done that before with Indiana Jones. and I know. Didn't turn out so well. I know. Just that this is a little bit of a side note all the Indiana Jones movies had kind of a fantastical supernatural element to it. What for you, because I agree with this, but what for you made the aliens a bridge too far? I think that although each of the other movies had a fantastic element, I think they were more established lore kind of things like uh, the Ark of the Covenant is something that people have always, you know, understood what the what the bible says its powers are so it's not something that's like brand new mm-hmm. um i think in the temple of doom where they're uh doing human sacrifices and like reaching into chests and ripping things out um <laughs> even that seems more grounded than aliens to me <laughs> <laughs> i guess just because you I, I think there's a fascination with that kind of like dark art mm-hmm. kind of thing when it comes to that and then um I mean, every, every, everyone who follows mythology knows about uh, the Holy Grail. So that 
I don't think there was anything like too wild about that. Just aliens. I, I guess my issue with it is that it seemed like a convenient way to explain what was going on instead of being like a huge, actually important, necessary part of what was going on in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've thought about this and I think part of it was the first three all, all leaned on religious themes, which are more established and more, I, I don't know if legitimate is the right word because that would say the other stuff, but I feel like they are more established lore. Whereas there, I would guess that the, this, it's less so when it comes to the idea of aliens and the role of aliens. Um, in some ways, there are more uh, alien abduction stories are, are you know, famous like Crackpot and Tinfoil Haddish. Um, so I wonder if it was just that they, those storylines have a less established credibility, natural inherent credibility. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's what's coming up here in the box office the next few weeks, months, and years. It's, that's how we roll. Now let's move on to our discussion. Uh, so today we're playing the movie quote game. Yes, it has returned, the movie quote game. So how this will work is that we will go back and forth giving each other movie quotes and the other one has to attempt to guess the movie. And if you can guess the actor or whatever, that works too. All right. Rob, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Okay. Uh, okay. So it, in, the, in the show notes, just for those who want to peek behind the curtain, it did say to not make it too difficult. Yeah. So. And how difficult is in the eye of the beholder. So I we have made see. it way too easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one I thought of was, I hope the Pacific is as blue as it is in my dreams. Ah, yes. Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Morgan Freeman. Mm -hmm. uh, towards the end of the movie. Yep. His last soliloquy, if you will, when he is on the bus ride to go meet up with Andy Dufresne in Zaywantaneo, Mexico. I don't, that is, there are so many good monologues in that movie and that I wanted to use like four of them for my article on monologues on yeah. a while back. Yeah. I don't think I used that one. I think he used one that's earlier, but it's so good. Yeah, that's good. All right. Here, here's your first one. We've got no food, no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Uh, that is Dumb and Dumber, and that is... Uh, is that Jim Carrey's character who says that? It is. And yes. he's Lloyd, right? He is Lloyd. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Jeff Bridges is uh, Harry. Mm-hmm. Yep, Lloyd Christmas. Yeah. I, I really uh, easy one. Welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. Yeah. Is that, is that Independence Day? It is. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but I don't remember. It was is that is that uh, Will Smith's character? Okay. Yep. He punches an alien after he crosses a spaceship. And when he punches him in the face and pulls him out, that's what he says. So the next quote on my list. You know, this is supposed to be my weekend off. No, you got me out here dragging you through the desert. Your dreadlocks <laughs> sticking out of the back of the parachute. You got to come down here with attitude, acting all big and bad. Literally the same scene. <laughs> Literally the same scene. <laughs> What so that's spent an Independence Day. <laughs> it's not like either one of us really. I don't know. Did you watch Independence Day recently? No, I didn't either. <laughs> There's one that sticks out to me as being uh, quotable. It's true. It's true. Uh, this one's longer, but I think that you should you should have no problem getting it. Okay. Uh, we used to look up at the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and wonder about our place in the dirt. Mm, interstellar yes interstellar at the beginning it's matthew mcconaughey's character when he's lamenting about how complacent everyone on earth had gotten great yeah, that's, 
That's a, I like that a lot, that scene. Mm -hmm. All right. Now this one's a little bit longer. As your leader, I encourage you from time to time and always in a respectful manner to question my logic. If you're unconvinced by a particular plan of action I've decided is the wisest, tell me so. But allow me to convince you, and I promise you right here and now, no subject will ever be taboo, except, of course, for the subject that was just under discussion. The price you pay for mentioning either my Chinese or American heritage is, I collect your effing head. I don't think I know this one. Mm. Okay. Do you want a hint? Sure. Uh, it is um, Lucy Liu is the actress. There's a part one and part two to this movie. The Kill Bill? It is. I don't know which one though. Kill Bill volume one. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's the scene at the beginning where, uh, where someone questions her leadership and then she just... Mm runs down the table and just chops his head off with a sword. Yeah, you said Lucy Liu. I was like, it's not Charlie's Angels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what else you got? Uh, so let's continue with that theme. That's the hint. Um, I'm, I'm censoring a couple words here from this quote, but the uh, general idea of the quote is, this is a pretty good milkshake. I don't know if it's a $5. $5 it's, I don't know if it's worth $5, but it's pretty good. Huh. Hint was it's related to the one you just gave me. Yeah, is that uh, is that a Pulp Fiction? It is a Pulp Fiction quote. Uh, I want to say that's Samuel L. Jackson. Nope. Okay. John Travolta. Okay. Talking to. Those <laughs> yeah, at the when they're at the uh, restaurant, right mm. before they do the dancing, and they're having milkshakes. Yes. And this yeah. was back in the 80s. So when he says, I don't know if it's worth $5. Yeah, that's a pretty significantly expensive milkshake. Yeah. <laughs> like 1989 or whatever. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Your next one is this. And I'm, there's, there's like an initial line and then there's the quote. So. Please describe your idea of a perfect date. Oh, that's rough. I'd say April 25th because it's not too hot, not too cold, and all you need is a light jacket. Ah, I know I, I know I know this. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <sighs> like i recently saw this i feel like <laughs> is this like is this a serious movie no it's not a serious movie mm. it's a comedy it is not by the, the quote is not by the main actress in the movie. It is a female actress, but it is the quote is not by the main actress. I know I know what it is and I'm completely blanking on it. The main actress is Sandra Bullock. This is not a quote by her, but by someone else in the movie. Is it Miss Congeniality? Yes, it is Miss Congeniality. Okay. Yes, this is a, that was a quote by Miss Rhode Island. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen that within yeah. the last year, so that's why I was like, I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, my wife will be very disappointed I didn't get that right away. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of her favorite movies. I thought you had mentioned that you had recently seen it, so I thought yeah. a chance on that one. Yeah. Uh, wipe yourself off. You're dead. Oh, rush hour. Yes, rush hour two. No, no, rush hour one no, at the end. One. Chris Tucker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. To the main bad guy. Yes. Because earlier in the movie, the bad guy punched him and said, wipe yourself off, you're bleeding. Mm-hmm. So this is like the retort at the end of the movie. Yes. I got to watch those again. It's been too long. Yeah. It's been way it's too rush long. hour. It's rush hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last one for you. So now you've noticed how much time Cobb spends doing things he says never to do. Is that an interstellar quote? Close, but no. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Inception. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who says that? Uh, does Tom Hardy's character say that? That is not Tom Hardy's. Okay. Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yes. Okay. Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Arthur says that to Ariadne yeah. when, the, when they're in the hotel, the, the second level dream. That's a movie I need to see again soon. I've not watched it in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. It is a good one. Okay. Well, that wraps up our movie quote game. Uh, that went a little bit better than the last one did. <laughs> we can actually pick quotes that we had a chance of understanding this time. <laughs> so it's coming along. The one-liner ones, you know. Yeah, yeah. Make it a little easier. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to our watch list. These are films that we watched over the last week, and we will give a brief synopsis and our thoughts on them. So, Rob, what did you watch last week? Uh, yesterday, I went and watched Space Jam, A New Legacy, starring LeBron James and Bugs Bunny. And, uh-huh. and every character from Warner Brothers' entire movie history. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> they, they go into a computer, and they are being held captive by the algorithm. Algae Rhythm. Nice. Played by Don Cheadle which is a very interesting choice for someone who's such a serious actor most of the time. Um, There are some very funny scenes in it. There's one scene where uh, LeBron James' son gets taken by Don Cheadle to the Al G bar, and Don Cheadle's dressed up as Steve Jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Got the jeans and the black turtleneck. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty funny. but the reviews I read about this said that it was like mindless, just mindless Warner Brothers properties, product placement, um, that it didn't have a soul or that LeBron James wasn't a good actor. Well, I, I, I did not go into the movie expecting LeBron James to be a good actor. So it's hard for me to really judge the movie based on that because I think that he acted just as well as Michael Jordan in the original one meaning Michael Jordan didn't act very well in the original one, but it's still a movie that like a lot of people love. Um, I guess my one criticism would be, I think that it was maybe too focused on the human characters. Uh, like the full, this felt like most of the first half of the movie was centered around just them instead of bringing in like the fantastical elements of the cartoons and everything. I, I found the use of the different characters from Warner Brothers actually pretty fascinating and funny. And I think that when you view this movie, you need to look at it through that lens that it was made to be like ridiculous and silly. And I don't think you can, um, I don't think you can judge every movie against each other based on one standard uh, way of scoring something because they're just, 
not trying to accomplish the same thing all the time. Like this movie wasn't trying to be a super serious drama. It was trying to show how crazy it would be for humans and cartoons to interact with each other. And I found myself laughing quite a bit. I was very pleasantly surprised to see that Marvin Martian was involved in this movie Mm. um, because he was not in the first uh, original Space Jam, at least not to this extent. And it was really something to see like the Wicked Witch of the West and King Kong and the clown from It and Harry Potter characters. And uh, this is a spoiler, but I don't think you're going to actually watch the movie, so it doesn't really matter. Um, they have to go around and find all the characters from Toon World because they were convinced by the algorithm to go explore the rest of the serververse, aka like the Warner Brother properties. <laughs> they find Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner in a scene from Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty and cool. Wiley e. Coyote hands holds up like the cartoon words written on it sign that you're used to seeing him do when he's in a cartoon that says witness me and he spray paints his face with silver spray paint and jumps onto the other car to get roadrunner so i have to admit i found that pretty funny that's pretty funny and uh there there were a few moments like that that were geared towards like recognizing the fact that adults who had seen these other things were part of the audience watching the movie Mm -hmm. uh i thought the use of the characters and abilities when it came to animation with the goon squad, the people they were going against was pretty interesting. I don't, I don't feel like it had the same stakes really as the original space jam, which I mean, is to, I don't know if it says too much because like I said, neither of these movies are supposed to be super serious, believable drama. So I would, I would say if you have kids, it's definitely worth going to check out. And I might, I'm probably going to watch it again uh, in the future sometime. So okay. I, I didn't hate it. And I went to the movie kind of expecting to hate it. So <laughs> I think that says something about the movie. If I went into it not wanting to like it and ended up not, not liking it. So I give it um, half a thumb up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not sure. Is that like, like, What's what's the like, like this. 40, 40 yeah. degrees, 45 uh, degrees. <laughs> <laughs> it's not two thumbs down, so that's something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And I I didn't really watch a whole lot other movie-wise during the week because we've been watching some TV shows together. So okay. All right. Uh, I watched uh I've been continuing watching the Mission Impossible movies. So I watched Mission Impossible two and three. And Mission Impossible 2 has long been a divisive movie, especially amongst my friends. I had long been harassed because I actually didn't hate Mission Impossible 2. Like a lot of people hated Mission Impossible 2. Uh, It was a complete departure from the tone and feel of the original Mission Impossible. It was directed by John Woo. So you had uh, lots of uh, slow focus in on characters' faces. Mm. the obligatory dove flying away (laughs) Um, but i actually do like the movie i i think it's if if you let it stand alone on its own i think it's it's enjoyable i mean there's not it doesn't feel it really doesn't feel anything like any of the other mission impossible movies it feels more uh insular it feels less connected to the overall world uh, it takes place almost exclusively in Australia, which is different because a lot of the other ones you're, you're going around through various countries, travel is a big, and various locales is a very big thing, whereas this one is almost entirely in Australia. Uh, it does tend to focus a little bit more on the characters than some of the other ones do, which is interesting, but it just has its, its own unique feel to it. Um, so I was intrigued by it. This was another one of the, for a while there, there was just, there's just like a rotating cast of characters on, amongst the early Mission Impossible movies where a lot of the side characters are just one and once and done. Of course, except for, um, except for Luther, 
his trusty sidekick who is in all of the movies. Um, other than him, uh, everyone else kind of rotates through until you get to Mission Impossible. Four, well, even three. Three they add in Simon Pegg for the first time, and he, and he continues on. But really in four, five, and six, that's when they really start establishing a more more baseline of characters this is all uh mission impossible three then going forward mission impossible three was the one i'm sorry that has simon Pegg in for the first time along with he he gets married and his wife comes in and so she is uh briefly in some of the other subsequent movies but mission impossible three is really where they start establishing this is what mission impossible movies are going to be like it's when bad robot took over and, and they really started to get in a rhythm for how these movies were going to flow. Uh, the third one is really interesting because it, it features a really, really good bad guy. And uh, oh, uh, now, I'm, of course, I'm going to blank out on his name. Um, I'll look it up here, but I'll talk about it. But there's it really it's, it's a cool movie because it has it starts with it starts with a scene near the end and builds the trauma or the drama of it literally from the moment uh, from the beginning of the movie. There is no pause to break into the movie. It just goes straight into the action. Um, so Philip Seymour Hoffman is the bad guy in this one. That's the name I couldn't remember. Um, so the action is the action is excellent. There are some really memorable scenes. Uh, the in particular, the one where he does a fulcrum off of one building onto another one, or where they're just shooting tennis balls from the roof of one building onto the other one, just as a distraction. Uh, so, but this is really the movie that that like launched the format for what the subsequent ones would be. Um, so. It really, it really was the revitalization of the Mission Impossible series. Uh, the last one I watched was The Girl in the Dragon Tattoo. Um, it is a favorite of mine. I watched the U.S. version, the one with Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara. I really like, I really, really like that movie. I've just, I've been going through the books again. And so I've been watching the movies when I get done with the books. There are some that will say that the Swedish versions are better. Uh, I would have to disagree. I like the Swedish version, but I think I, I think the American one is just a better movie. And I think it's better made. And I think it sticks a little closer to the actual the actual book than does the Swedish one. Uh, but it's it's that a is, fascinating movie. That is one thing that's definitely stuck out to me because I saw that uh, a couple months ago, I think, that it sticks so closely to the source material having read the book mm -hmm. that in a lot of ways it's just the book as a movie which is not something you see super often yeah yeah i mean the biggest the biggest changes were like um the end with harriet vanger and and that change and uh, some of the relationship with cecilia vanger was changed uh, but the main thing that one of the things that it kept uh, that the Swedish version changed was who makes the initial breakthrough about the Bible codes. In the book, it's it's Blomquist's daughter. In the Swedish version, it's actually Salander that that mm. discovers that. Uh, so that's that's one way where the the American version sticks a little closer to the story. Um, but it, the characters are great. The story is intriguing. It's it's really it's a it's an extremely well written book and and the movie version uh, really held up on its own and it was directed by David Fincher and has an excellent score once again by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and it, it does a Bond like uh, intro where mm -hmm. you have a, where you have a song and you have kind of a animated theme that goes forward that gives you some snapshots of the movie it's very Bond like in that has one of those uh, title sequences. So it's definitely worth seeing if you haven't seen it. It's it's not an easy film because there are some pretty brutal scenes in it for sure, because uh, it's a brutal story, but uh, it's good. Okay, uh, so we'll close out today by talking about a recommendation. So we're gonna, we're gonna go with an underrated sci-fi or fantasy film. Uh, to recommend for this week. So Rob, what are you going to recommend? 
Uh, I was thinking about the movie Timeline from 2000 and was it six? 2003 or six, I don't remember. One of those early to mid 2000s. Yeah. Go with that. <laughs> with Gerard Butler and Paul Walker. 2003. Uh, Billy, 2003. Okay. Billy Connolly is also in this as an uh, older figure. Um, I'm reading through the book right now. So I'm interested in going back and checking this out again soon because I haven't watched it probably in 10 years. Is that another and Michael another, Crichton book? Uh, so this is Michael Crichton book. Okay. Jurassic and, Park author. Yep. And uh, seeing how some of the things are described in the book makes you really want to go check it out in movie form again. So Timeline, mm -hmm. I would recommend it. I, at the very least, remember it being an enjoyable and good movie. So I think at this point, it being 18 years old, there's probably a decent amount of people who have not seen or heard of it. So yeah, recommend checking it out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with the indie time travel classic Primer. Uh, Primer was a movie done almost in zero budget. It's one of the most cohesive time travel movies you will see. Uh, it's interesting, you, you go in the credits and basically half the stuff in the movie was donated. So <laughs> it's done an extremely low budget, but it is extremely well done. They put a lot of time, energy, and thought into uh, the rules of their time travel. And it is an immediate intriguing story. It's, it's a very human story in that this is how two random people who discover time travel in their garage probably would act. And so there's, there's an element of realism to it. Now, it is a little difficult to follow at times. You have to keep up with it and you really have to be paying attention to what's happening. Uh, but it is certainly worth, absolutely worth uh, checking out. So check out Primer if you get a chance. Okay, that is all the show we have for you today. Uh, thanks for checking out filmforfans.com or Film for Fans podcast, but also check out filmforfans.com. Uh, the article on the best movie cars will be up later today. Uh, it was supposed to be up a few days ago, but I didn't get it done. So <laughs> it'll be done. It'll be up later today. So make sure you visit filmforfans.com to check out that and other articles on our site, as well as recommend to your friends. Until next time, enjoy the movies.